0: Um, How are you guys doing today? It's great to be here. Um, Bend is beautiful. I got off the plane yesterday and I was like, what's that mountain with all that white stuff on it? This is awesome um, because I live in the Phoenix area, Tempe, and so yeah, we're not seeing a lot of white stuff over there. Um, So I've been loving it, but um, like Pete said, I work for Athletes in Action, and so on campus at ASU, um, I work Mostly in the athletic department, and so we just do a lot of evangelism and discipling, uh, student athletes, um, athletic support staff, some coaches, and so um, some chaplaincy, the things that go with sports ministry. Um, so I love my job. Um, I'm not from Phoenix, I'm from Southern California, um, but my job is the bomb, y'all, and I love it. Um, but I do like all the multifaceted things I get to do around the country with race and the gospel um, It's really hard to do, I think, but it's really fun. Um, And so this morning, I'm really excited though. When I talked to Pete about coming, he was like, Well, actually, we're in this series called The Spirituality of Everyday Life. And it's way more, we're trying to really hone down and get into like the practical of like how you do this thing, this, this, this walk with Jesus and living into the true story of the whole world. Um, and so I was like, I can to talk about friendship. Woo! This is great because um, for me as a single woman, I think it's really fun because um, I don't have a spouse. And so friendship for me has been clutch. Companionship through friends um, has been um, how I have walked with Jesus for, I don't know how long, I don't know. 15 years or something like that. Um, So I want to throw up real quick um, a picture of it's a team. So how I got involved with Athletes in Action is that I was a student athlete um, and I started going to AIA and I played basketball at UCLA. And so this is a picture of my team. I think that's 2004, I think. Um, Maybe I look a lot different. I'm down at the left front of... Gained a little weight since then. But um, so this, I, want, I show this picture um, because when I think about friendship, I often think about these girls, um, right? Because half of that team, real talk, I would not probably uh, have chosen out of the crowd to be like my besties. Um, but since we were all chosen individually and then put together on this team, um, I grinded 20, 30 hours a week, day in, day out, practices, weights, games, traveling with those girls every single day. And because of that, those became my best friends and my sisters for four, five years. Um, And so I just want to tell a story real quick. One of those girls, I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want to expose people, but she went, um, one night when we were in college, she went out to a party, which wasn't new because she was probably like, you know, one of the bigger partiers on our team. But what was new, is she went out to the party with, not with any of us, not with any of our teammates, she went out with some of her, her NARP friends, and for, some, for those of you who don't, you're like, what's a NARP, Emma? Um, athletes do have a name for non-athletes on campus, and so they call them NARPs, which N-A-R-P stands for non-athletic regular people. So just so you know, there is a name for you at ASU too, they call, sometimes they call, they call them normies. So kinda like, you know, muggles in Harry Potter. Um, So if you didn't know, now you're in the loop. So um, yeah, so she went out with some of her NARP friends to this party um, and I didn't go out. Me and my roommate were at home in our apartment. We lived like off campus at that time because we were like juniors or seniors. And so we got a phone call and the phone call was like, yo, so-and-so got jumped and we were like, what do you mean so-and-so got jumped? Like, and so me and my roommate look at each other like, oh, this is not about to go down on our turf, right? So we go, get in our car, we go drive and pick up like three more of our teammates on that team. And we like drive back to Westwood where UCLA is. We show up, we find the party and we show up at the party like five of us deep and we're like, where is Sheena? Sheena's the track girl who jumped our teammate, right? And so we go up in there. I don't know, we were, I guess we were gonna fight. I don't know. So the football players are like, yo, everyone chill out. It's good. Sheena's not here. Da 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 da. And so we're just, we're like fuming because we're like, you do not get to jump our sister, our teammate, because we're not around her, right? They like took advantage. And so we're like ready to go fight this chat girl. And at this point, you, probably, you guys are probably like, Pastor Pete, who the heck did you guys bring up here to speak? But I promise you, I don't live my life that way anymore. I'm not going around trying to fight people. I just want people to know Jesus now. But um, but you know, so there's this term that I use a lot when I think about friendship and the term is ride or die. Has anyone heard that term? Maybe not in Bend, Oregon, but when we talk about, when we talk about ride or die, ride or die is basically like, I'm down for you and I'm going to ride with you even if it kills me. Right. And so then we were like, we're ride or die for our teammates. I don't care what's going down. Like we've got to have her back. And so That's, I just, I I wanted to tell that story because that is how I think of friendship. I'm like, are you ride or die? I use that term even now a lot still when I talk about friendships. I'm like, this is one of my ride or dies. Um, And hopefully not in an unhealthy way, though. Hopefully I've grown and matured beyond college where I'm trying to like fight track girls. But um, so today, so if, if we wanted to talk about friendship from the beginning of time, right? If we wanted to go back, talk about what friendship from the beginning of time, how would we see friendship through the lens of the biblical story, right? Because it's not that. It's not, let's go beat up the girl who jumped my teammate, okay? But how would we see it through the lens of the biblical story? How does friendship fit in as an essential part, a really essential part of the whole narrative of God's creation and redemptive plan, right? How does this fit in? And so I want to look at friendship through that grid today, if you guys don't mind, which if you would oblige me, so. Friendship. We see friendship mad early on. We see it really early on existing where we see it in Genesis, right? In the Trinity, that the Trinity is existing in relationship with itself, right? In Genesis 3, let us make man in our image, right? So we see this relationship, relational attribute expressed through the Trinity in the beginning of time. And then we have God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, and he said all of it was good except for one thing wasn't good, right? What, what is that one thing that wasn't good? Does anyone want to yell it? Yes, Genesis 2, 18. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And so God said it's all good except for this one thing is not good. Um, the interesting thing about that, I think, though, is that was man really alone at that moment? No, man wasn't alone. Man was with God, right? Man was in the presence of God. But so God saw fit for man to have a companion, even though he was fully present with us, right? He saw fit that man needed a companion in life, even though God was fully present with us. And so it was good for man to have a helper, right? And so some people could read that and think, yeah, Duh Emma, easy, like, God, uh, Adam needed a wife, so he, gave, he sent Eve, so God created... A marriage, right? God created a spouse at creation. And that totally works, right? Adam did get a spouse. He got Eve. But it works until you meet people like me who are in their early 30s and still single. Not that I want to be single. So if any of you know any single men who love Jesus who are 6'2 or taller, find me after the service. I would love to give you my number to hand out to that person. Um, So, But I am. So I am. I'm I'm in my early 30s and I'm still single. Um, And so, yes, God fulfills this need for companionship through a spouse. But I would say just as often, God fulfills this need through friends and through friendship. Um, If if that wasn't true, if we couldn't have companionship through um, friends, then like 49% of our population would have to be without companionship. And that's pretty whack. So, and that would be me, no companionship, what? I live my life with, with friends. And so um, we have this imagery of God in Genesis, um, this imagery of God and Adam walking through the garden, right? Walking through Eden that God had created. All this good, beautiful stuff. Probably looks a lot like Bend, Organ, you know? Um, and so God's walking through this and they're chilling and they're homies and they're friends and they're just kicking it. Like this is some of the imagery I see in Genesis. Um, but then seeing that it was even even in that, right? Even in this relational, this super relational thing that Adam and God had, God still saw a need for Adam to have his companionship. He still saw a need for there to be friendship. And so God created Eve. And so we have this in the very beginning. We have it from creation. It was evident to our creator, who created Eve for relation, who created Adam for a relationship with himself even before he made Eve. But then he still saw it was evident that it wasn't good. He needed, man it was not good for man to be alone. So thank the Lord we got friendship at creation, that God saw that to be something really good. But, that word but, just like everything else, um, everything else good in the world, right? At the moment of the fall, everything good is distorted and screwed up by sin, everything. And so um, you have sin enter onto the scene of humanity and everything gets jacked up and that includes friendship. And so where we saw God um, see a need to give man a helper and companion so that he's not alone, um, now we see that man has grasped onto friendship in some super unhealthy ways. And so, if we just talk about a little of what that could look like, I could probably ask you guys, and you guys could throw stuff out there of like how was friendship distorted by sin? Um, but so some that i some that I thought of were, so friendship often is put on a pedestal, and it's made an ultimate thing above, like it's it's a good thing, but it's made the ultimate thing, even above God. Um, and so what that looks like is, you'll compromise just about anything to keep a friendship thriving, right? This is AKA also known as idolatry. Um, And so you guys heard earlier, I'm a big fan of being ride or die for your friends, but you can take ride or die to the way extreme, way too far. Like something that I think about is, which I don't know if you guys have these in Bend either, but like gangs, gang initiations. Um, Do you guys have gangs in Bend? probably not. Okay. Just wondering. Um, you never know. You never know. It could, yeah, I don't know. So, but ga- like gang initiation. So I'm from like east of LA a little bit. So like, whatever. We've had, ga- we had gangs growing up, but um, in gang initiations, the like tagline is like blood in, blood out. Cause like when you get initiated into a gang, um, how you get initiated is you get jumped by your whole gang, which sounds like love, right? You just get beat that crap out of you. And so that's blood in. So you get beat up, and that's how you get initiated into the gang. Um, And then if you ever want to leave the gang, they can kill you. So it's definitely blood out. So blood in, blood out. But right, that is like such a distortion of ride or die. Such a distorted view of what friendship, like devoted friendship, is supposed to look like. Friendship has also been over-sexualized, um, and so uh, friendship with the opposite sex, right, has led to, like, promiscuity and affairs in marriages and in relationships. Um, on the college campus, because I work with college students, there is a thing called FWB, which stands for friends with benefits, which means uh, that you basically, you're, not, you're just friends, but you get all the benefits of the physical benefits of that you would have in a marriage, but there's no relational commitment because you're just friends, right? That's the like craziest, most unhealthy relationship ever. But seriously, like so many students I work with ha- go through that as friends with benefits. Um, also, I work at my church in Tempe. I work in an office full of men. Um, it's just me typically in the office with all guys. But the men I work with are obviously godly men whom I love. Um, And I would really consider my brothers and my friends. But um, if I go out to lunch with one of my pastors, me being a single woman and him being a married guy, um, a lot of people would look down on that and look poorly upon doing that. I think even Pastor Pete picked me up last night from the airport. um, And instead of letting me starve, he took me to dinner. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Pete. And praise the Lord that I didn't have to starve but I think in some Christian communities, right, like people would look on that like, yo, Pastor Pete, you're married. Like, why are you taking a single girl out to, de- to eat? Well, because she just got in and she's hungry and she has to eat and she's my friend, you know? So, but I think that because of how sin has distorted it, right, that is a way that that's, we look at it and it becomes over-sexualized. Um, another thing is I think that friendship is stewarded poorly and maybe... Some of you might have to, like, I don't know, think back to when you were younger, or maybe this is happening now, but um, as you build friendships, right, and you, you, you build with people and you're sharing your heart and your wounds with people that you're growing with, sometimes those precious pearls of your life that you've entrusted to someone, right, sometimes those are dealt with poorly. Um, and so People's business gets put on blast, things that you would hope to be secretive, that you would, not secretive, but to not be shared, get shared um, and there is gossip and there is slander and you get treated badly and you're like, yo, this is making me not wanna trust friends like ever again, right? And so that stuff happens, That that's a result of sin. Um, another thing I think about is that we give friends tons of like emotional space in their lives and so um, sometimes there's these, like super hyped up emotional um, attachments that we get into. And so I see this a lot on campus too, Um, but you have um, two people who have no emotional boundaries. And so they're leaning on each other in friendship to be each other's everything. And so they develop this codependency. And this codependency I've seen lead to a lot of times same-sex relationships. Now it's not the only reason you see same-sex relationships, but it's been a super prevalent one with teammates I've had, with friendships, that there's no emotional boundary and then it becomes this full-blown relationship. Also a distortion because of sin. And then I think friendship even, it's like low-key like marriage. You know, like if, if I'm not getting what I want out of it, right, if it's not meeting all of my needs and I'm getting, not getting what I want, then I'm not really down. I'm not ride or die, right? I'm not really down. I'm not really willing to stay in it and fight for it if I'm not getting my needs met or getting what I want. Um, And then our beloved, beloved millennial generation folks who I'm in, but I'm at the upper, you know, the upper echelon of it. I'm not like a full-blown millennial, even though I'm in the category. Um, Millennials, right? Friendship has been hijacked by social media. Right. And so we think that we have friends based on how many followers we have on Instagram or on Twitter um, where we're like behind a screen and we're pretty much isolated from everyone. Right. But deep friendship cannot be characterized by likes or favorites or even comments on a post. But that is that is what we deal with in this generation. Um, instead, and so instead of a companion that's meant to be a helpmeet, a friend, right? Sometimes friendship, friends become the villains in some of our most painful stories that have really shaped our lives, right? That's sin. Sin has done that in this great thing that God created. Um, it's destroyed. It's destroyed like the goodness and distorted everything about it. But thankfully. We have something called the gospel. Hallelujah. I know you guys don't like to shout in here, but I would tell you to shout for the gospel, you know, if, if I was that kind of a teacher. But, um, but the gospel, oh, the gospel, right? And so thank goodness for that. We make a good thing friendship, right? We make it an ultimate thing, but the ultimate friendship is friendship with God, right? And so friendship with God puts friendship in its rightful place. Friendship with God keeps friendship in its rightful place. And hopefully that friendship with God informs how we do friendship with one another. Um, And so I want to look at John 15 today, just um, like three passages from John 15. John 15 is one of my favorite books in the Bible, um, because it talks about a lot about abiding in the true vine, because apart from him, we can do nothing, right? And so just being surrendered to the, to the Holy Spirit, um, being in step with the Spirit. And so um, I love this part of it, because it's a part, these passages talk about, Jesus is talking about love and friendship with himself. And so I was like, yo, this gives us a great model for like something that I would call redeemed friendship. Like I think these these passages of John 15 um, point to something that I'd call redeemed friendship. And so these are three things that I wanna characterize, that are characterized by redeemed friendship out of John 15. Um, And so let me read the verse first. The verse says, it says, "'My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. "'Greater love has no one than this, "'to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And so the first thing we see there, I would say one is from verses 12 to 13 is we see sacrifice, right? And so Jesus says in verse 12 to 13, God commands us to love one another as he he has loved us which he then says in the next verse, there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And that's exactly what he did. He demonstrated for us this, he willingly demonstrated this for us when he took on a brutal death on our behalf, right? And so he modeled this command and principle. I think about Romans 5.10, where it says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So the gospel shows us, right? The gospel shows us that the ultimate sacrifice was made by Jesus to make us friends of God and not enemies anymore. The ultimate sacrifice was made by Jesus to make us friends of God and not his enemies anymore. And so friendship implies sacrificial love because of it because of the gospel friendship implies sacrificial love it's that love which has we've seen demonstrated on the cross and so it's not like I talked about like I just talked about it's not this unhealthy like abusive type of love but it's it's a sacrificial love that usually costs us something Um, I think about one of my friends She is a single mom. Her daughter is four years old. And so she had, her daughter ended up having an emergency and had to go be in the hospital. Um, And I think what sacrificial love at that moment cost me, it cost me a whole lot of hours of going to the hospital to sit in the waiting room with my friend, um, to be with her while she was scared, to pray with her and to just sit with her, right? So sacrificial love cost me hours. When you guys, um, for people who have a new baby or for families who are going through, um, there's someone, some, someone in their family is really sick and you guys get on a, a meal train and make meals for people, right? And you bring them to their house. It costs you time to go make the food and it costs you your money to go buy the food. Um, sacrificial love costs you something to serve someone and to love a friend, right? And so I think I see, we see that in the first principle here. And the second thing we see, I would say, is obedience and dependability. And this is from verse 14, where, where Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command, right? You are my friends if you do what I command. And so with God, it's, it's obedience, right? It's, it's to obey him. It's like God saying, like, will you follow me? Will you obey me? Um, because I always have your best in mind, and my plan for you is good because I'm good because good is a part of, is one of my character attribute traits. But then goodness is also like the summation of all my character attributes together. Like I am good. And so will you obey me even when you don't understand why, even when you don't want to, will you trust me enough to do as I command because you know I'm good, right? Because he says, I'm your God, but I call you my friend. So do we trust them enough to obey? But in friendship, what does this like, look like? Because we're not, we don't obey our friends. I mean, I guess you could, but I'm gonna be like, you don't tell me what to do, right, to your friends. But we don't obey our friends, but we depend on them, right? And so it's dependability. Can I depend on you to show up when you say you're going to do it? Can I depend on you to show up when you say you're going to? Can I rely on you to have my best in mind? Can I rely on you to be for me and to encourage me um, and to give me grace? But can I also rely on you to like speak truth to me when you see destruction in my life that I just don't see, right? Can I rely on you for that? Like, is there dependability? Can I depend and rely on you? Can I trust you, right? That's what it is in friendship. Um, And so... I listen to um, Brene Brown. I don't know if anyone else, does anyone else like Brene Brown up in here? Yes, we have some Brene Browners. But anyway, um, she is, I, she's a research professor and I would call her a, like a social psychologist. So the great thing is all the stuff she like teaches about It's based out of like really dope research. So I'm like, yeah, she's so good. But so one of the things, she's not like Bible Jesus, but something that she talked about, one of my favorite things I've heard her talk about actually, um, is she talks about um, the anatomy of trust and she talks about marble jar trust. And so she uses this illustration when you're in elementary school and your teacher Um, has a jar and she has marbles. And then when the class is behaving really well and doing everything they're supposed to be doing and following directions, she'll put marbles in in the jar every time the class is doing this. Um, And the goal is that the marble jar, once it gets filled up to the top, the class, the whole class gets a pizza party. So all the kids are like, yeah, fill the marble. So they're like holding people accountable, like be quiet, we're losing marbles. Cause that's the kicker is if you're not behaving and you're not taking care of business and doing what you're supposed to be doing, she's taking marbles out of the jar, right? And so Brene Brown uses this illustration of like with our friends, um, like every time a friend shows up when they say they're gonna show up, I'm putting marbles in, in, in one of my jars, Right. Every time that friend calls you um, to ask, like, how your brother's doing or how's your family doing, right? I'm putting marbles in the jar. Every time that friend, um, your, that friend showed up at your grandpa's funeral just to be there, marbles in the jar, right? Every time that friend texts you to, at, at the same time every day to say, like, hey, praying for your mom today, right? Marbles in the jar. And so just this idea that trust and reliability is one in these really small, maybe even seemingly insignificant moments, but it's filling our marble jar. And so we we are trusting people through like these moments, like when you're building dependability and reliability, it's in these small, what you think are insignific- insignificant moments, but they matter, that we're building dependability and reliability in friendship, right? And that's God, 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 Trust us us with that. God trusts us with that. And so um, the third thing I'll talk about from this is confide. And so it's the ability to be a confidant. Um, And so in verse 15, the last verse, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And so, all that Jesus has heard from his Father, he has made known to us through his Spirit. Right? He has chosen to confide in us as friends, not servants anymore, right? The verse, we're not servants anymore, but he's chosen to give us his presence and make known to us all that he and the Father have plans and dreams for us and all of, and all of mankind and humanity. He confides in us. And so, just this reality that we need friends, we need those kind of friends with whom we can freely confide, where we can share our deepest feelings and our deepest convictions and our longings, and we know that we're not going to be betrayed, right? That is a thing in friendship, and we see it here even as displayed in our relationship with God. Ironically, though, on the flip side of the same coin, though God confides in us, like we betray him all the time. Right? We betray him all the time, even though he confides in us. Um, but we are met with pursuit, even when we turn our backs. Right, And we are met with forgiveness and mercy that's new every single morning. Um, and I think about, this makes me think about, so in college, I had two best friends, my, our point guard, who was my roommate. Um, and she was like, we were inseparable, like on our team. Um, and then my best guy friend in college was on our football team and he came in as a freshman and he was like the only guy on the football team that I knew of pursuing Jesus. So me and him like really bonded right away and we became like super close. So like inseparable when I wasn't playing basketball, I was probably with him. So people would like call me to figure out where he is or they call him to figure out where I was. Um, And so these were my two best friends. And in college, they didn't even like each other. So I was like with one or I was with the other. And keeping them separate was, you know, that's how we rolled. Um, So after college, when we both, when everyone graduated, so we're maybe a little bit more mature, but not really. um, My roommate, uh, she got drafted to the WNBA. So she was playing um, for the Washington, D.C. Mystics. And then my best guy friend, he got drafted to the Patriots. So he was up in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And so I thought I had this like genius, like light bulb idea. Like I was like, yo, what if I hooked up my two best friends? And then I'm really the winner here because my two best friends like date and get married and it becomes this great thing. And then like, you know, I like have this great friend, like friendship of three, right? Like I'm like, woo. So I just thought this was a brilliant idea. And what it proved to be was the... Worst idea I've ever had in my whole life. So I like hooked up my two friends, my two best friends. Like, so they start dating, and I'm like, yeah, they, you know, like, they won't put me in the middle. They both know me better than anyone. Um, you know, she knows how close I am with him and his family. So like, she's not gonna trip. That like, I fly with his family to his games because like, she's already knows and it doesn't bother her. Um, I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be great. Dude, I was in the middle of everything. All their lack of communication, guess who got the backlash of it? Like, guess who had to, like, try and transcribe everything to each other's families? Like, um, my best girlfriend knew how close I was with them, and I would, like, go fly to games with his family, and she would, because they're dating now, like, even though she knew, she got pissed. So I'm like, dude, this is, like, backfiring in my face. This is the worst idea I've ever had in my life. Um, And so finally, it just, it really got bad enough where um, I like had to just be removed from it. Like I had to be like, look, like it was ruining my friendships with both of them. Um, and I was like, I gotta, like, I just can't be in it anymore. Like this is super unhealthy, super sinful. Like, like I just can't be in it. So I kind of removed myself from the situation, um, and from their lives because that's how, you know, messy it got, which yeah, it, it is messy. Friendship's super messy, but, um, so that was like a super sad season for me though, because it was like, I lost my two best friends. I felt like right at the same time. And it was like my idea, what? So don't do that if you guys have any plans, don't do it. Um, so I was really sad. So we went almost two years, like almost two years I didn't talk to either of them. And so um, I remember I was joining staff with crew like full time. So I'm in Colorado like taking seminary courses. And so I'm sitting (laughs) doing seminary homework because there's like more homework than I'd done in four years of college, you know. And so I'm trying to do my homework and I get a random phone call from my best friend. He's in like, um, he's in pre-camp up in Foxborough. And I'm like, dude, why is he calling me? This is crazy. So I answer and I go out to the lounge in between our dorms. um, And I answer the phone and he's like, Emma, I have to call you. I've been thinking about calling you for weeks. And he's like, I have to call you to apologize for what I did and how I treated you and how much I, like, put on your lap there. And he was like, and I ruined your and Nikki's friendship, and I'm so sorry. Like, he was like, I I was wrong, and I did it wrong, and I was immature. And the beautiful thing about redeemed friendship, y'all, is that it reflects the gospel narrative it reflects the gospel narrative. So the death and the resurrection of Christ brings redemption, right? And then in that redemption, through a relationship with Jesus, is forgiveness over and over and over again. It's what we experience on a regular basis, right? We're forgiven over and over and over again by Christ. Um, and in the midst of this, he's reconciling all things back to himself. And I forgave Matthew. That, that was his name, Matthew. I forgave him. Um... I, yeah, I was so mad. I was so sad. There was things like that needed to be dealt with, but I forgave him. Um, Because as believers, I really believe that we carry this narrative into the way that we do friendship. We carry it into the way we do friendship. And so we believe the best about people and we forgive, right? Um, And so in redemption, mess ups and being hurt don't always necessarily mean that you never um, that you're never friends with someone again. So it might mean that in some circumstances, right? Um, it might mean that it might mean that friendships, the way they look, change, right? It might mean that our friendships going to look really different. Um, but it doesn't mean that may, that we'll never that we'll never be friends again. Sometimes, so this reconciliation, right? We know from Ephesians two, one through ten, reconciliation happens vertically to God but then we know from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 that it happens horizontally with each other. And so the gospel doesn't stop at reconciliation with God. The gospel stops after we're reconciled to one another. And so this I love that this narrative hopefully is brought into how we do how we do friendships. So then the next question I want to ask is what could what could friendship look like when the kingdom of God is fully realized, is what could, what could all of this look like. Um, and so one thing that I think of, again, I wish I could like split y'all off and you guys talk about it, but we will just talk about some things up here. Um, work. I think about work and there won't be unhealthy competition anymore, right? There won't be like the crazy baseball dads. If you're one of these dads, I'm really sorry. I'm about to call you out. But the crazy baseball dads who will like verbally tear down their five, six, seven-year-old because you want them to be better than your friend's son, right? Like there won't be the crazy competition of like um, <laughs> the, the, the secret competition among parents of whose kids can get um, more accolades and awards, right? All that stuff, like it's the, it's the unhealthy competition that's driven by jealousy. We won't, that, that won't be anymore in, in, a, in, a, in the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God's realized, um, we will share in each other's successes because your successes are my successes, right? We'll do it together in perfect unity. Um, this pastor, Brian Lorette, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's a like multi-ethnic church planter. Um, and I remember I heard him talk about um, the, a no-fly zone before. So this is how he explained it. He said like at church, right? He's the pastor. He was like, if somebody at church came up to my wife after church and was like, yo, let me take you to lunch, he'd be like, no, brother, that's a no-fly zone. Like, you don't get to take my wife, you know, to lunch without me. Um, but he was saying, like, when the kingdom of God is fully realized in friendship, there won't be no-fly zones, right? Because friendship won't be over-sexualized. So there, there is this ability to be able to go to lunch freely with with a a, man, a single man, a single married man, married woman. Um, and it won't be this like fear of like, oh, that's sketchy. Um, there's something inappropriate that's going to happen. Um, so I just think about, I'm like, dude, I can't even imagine that. But just imagining what this kingdom would look, what friendship would look like in a fully, re- in the fully realized kingdom of God. But the dopest thing that I love that I think the kingdom of God will be. And when I say dopest, I don't mean like drugs guys. Just, just want to, I just have to keep that straight. When I say dope, I mean like really, really good. So if I don't even know if I've said it yet, but I usually say dope a lot and people are like, dope, what? The older generation. So I really mean something good. Um, But I think the dopest thing that we'll see um, in friendship when God's kingdom is fully realized is like this awesome picture of Revelation 7, 9. And I think it'll go up on your screen, but it says, after this. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. And so it's a revelation at the end of time, like when, when God, Jesus comes back and the, the kingdom is fully realized, this picture of every tribe and tongue and nation like standing together in unity. <coughs> and I love this because I think At this time, we will have friends of every different ethnicity, skin shade, race, people speaking all different kinds of languages, but we will all be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Like in John 17, what he prays for us before he goes to die on the cross. I believe that this is what we'll have in the fully realized kingdom of God. And I love this because um, if we go back to Genesis again, right, that we started off with, right man so god made man in the image of god so what that means is that the fullness of god right all of who god is all of that all of that which expresses like who he is in his fullness the fullness of god is expressed through the diversity of his people and so if what that means is if i miss out on his people of every ethnicity every culture um Every race, right? I'm missing out on a picture of the fullness of God. I'm missing out on experiencing the fullness of God. Now, you guys might be sitting in your seats like, does she know that Bend is 95% white? I do. I talk to Pastor Pete. I do. So you're probably like, Emma, we don't have like the ethnic and racial diversity like you guys have in LA or, you know, even in Phoenix. Um, But So you guys might not have the ethnic and racial diversity, but what you guys probably do have is like socioeconomic diversity, right? You probably have, well, I know you have season of life diversity. And so it's not just those things, but how, even in Bend, like how can you experience the image of God through someone who's very different than you, someone who shares a really different political view than you, someone who like, Apparently, you guys have a lot of, like, I would maybe call them granola people, you know, like, is that a thing? Like, hiking boots, we go, like, hiking, like, snowboard all the time and stuff. Like, I probably need to hang out with them, because I'd be like, yo, what, I need to see the image of God through you, because you are way different than me. So, um, but so just that reality of thinking through, like, okay, yeah, maybe in Ben you don't have the racial diversity or the ethnic diversity, But you do have other diversity. And so, how can you experience the fullness of God through those people? Um, And then, lastly, all of this, when I talk, when I think about friendship and we walk through the biblical story in friendship, like friendship totally, totally points to community. Friendship is embodied in community. Like from creation to restoration, we are implored to live in a community that is a preview of the kingdom of God, right? It's, it's, it's a community of people living um, living in such a way that's super attractive to the world watching how we do friendship. This super attractive community as the world's watching how we do friendship together. Um, something I think of, Oh, which is a little bit tender for me, but I'm gonna share it anyway. Um, Just recently, like the first weekend of February, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, There were no uh, symptoms. Like you'd think like blood in the stool, like kidney pain, like nothing like that. She had quad pain. um, And then they took an MRI because like physical therapy wasn't helping and they found like lesions of cancer. Um, and it's spread like all over her body. And so this season for my family has been definitely the hardest one we have had to walk through together. Ooh, I am not going to cry. Let me hold it back. Get it. Here we go. No, but it's been super hard. Just like the, the adjustments, like it's like a, a constant cloud that's over you. And most, of, most days we just feel pretty sad and disoriented, um, but trusting God right? Because it, it will take a miracle. Um, but what is powerful about it is my, I think every friend my parents have ever had have come behind my family and literally like my mom, she's not very mobile anymore right now. So like my dad and my um, brother who lived there, they have had a meal every single night for three months. Like I'm not kidding. Like that's how many meals people bring by. Like people have dropped off breakfasts on our front porch and just texted my dad like there's food on the porch. Um, people have come and done everything from like do my mom's IVs um, to rub her, rubbing her feet with like essential oil. If you guys are really into essential oil, I don't know how that gets down, but whatever. We'll try anything. So they come and like rub essential oil on her feet. Um, they come like um, when we're not there, because we're driving back and forth all the time from um, Phoenix to Cali. But, you know, they're like shaving her legs for her. Like just literally any type of way you can think of that that there is a need, um, our friends have met it. <laughs> and so what is crazy about this season in my life is I don't think I've ever experienced um, something more powerful um, to watch God, like, provide in such a huge way for my family through our community of friends, right? I've never, like, because I've never had to walk through something like this, I've never seen it more powerfully um, where God has done this. Um, And it is in these friendships that my friends have had long-time friends, short-term friends, like, friends who live in Long Beach to friends who live in Arizona, like, literally... Every friend has come out of the woodwork to come behind as this community that if I was not a believer, you better believe i'm looking at that like what the heck that's your church like those are the those are Christians who come in they're coming and like scrubbing your the calluses off your feet like like it, it's I, and I think most people want to serve, but I just think when you see a preview, when you see a community living out a preview of God's kingdom that way, I think it is powerful. It has been powerful in my life. It has been so powerful in my life. Um, and so on campus, I really am gonna close with this, guys. Sorry, I keep saying last thing. I could just keep talking, but I'm gonna stop. But so on campus, I work because I disciple student athletes, and so I tell all my disciples, I always tell them, you need to have at least these two groups of friends. Right, and so these are the two groups of friends I tell them I th- that I think we need to have. <coughs> One is you need to have a group of friends of believers who are like living into the true story of the world, who are walking with Jesus, who are pointing you to Jesus on the regular because we need to be pointing to Jesus on the regular, um, who are encouraging you and spurring you on, right? You need those, you need that, that is community. Like you need that community. That is a, a group you absolutely need. But I also believe a group of friends that you absolutely need is the friends who are not. And so you need the friends who are not Christians. Maybe they think they're Christians, but they don't give a flip about walking with Jesus, right? They don't give a flip about walking in obedience. Um, Maybe they're not churched, right? You need that group of friends, and there's two reasons I think you need that group, right? Two reasons is one of living life on mission. And so like if I'm only around Christians all of the time, not that that's all bad, but there are things that I'm missing and being able to live out the mission, right? The preview of the kingdom of God to those who don't know Jesus that I'm gonna miss. There's something I'm missing if I'm not living life around this type of group of people too. And so I think at ASU, it's a little bit easier to hang out around non-Christians, right, Um, at the biggest university in the country. I think we're at 83,000. It's a little bit easier to do that. Um, but I think in our lives, no matter where we live, like we have to be intentional about thinking through like, okay, how do I do this? Like, who, do, who can my family go be around and love on and enter into the lives of? Like, how can I just go be around and learn my, learn the culture that's going on around me, right? So that's one reason why. The second reason is something I already mentioned but it's to experience the image of God that's expressed through people who are different than you. Because here's the thing, and I think this is like a given, but even non-believers were made in the image of God. So this is like, when I say this though, sometimes Christians are like, uh, Emma, I think you're tripping. But because non-believers are made in the image of God, they possess an air beauty and who they are and what they create. Even non-believers, right? It's why we don't just support um, Christian businesses or businesses that are only that are owned by Christians, because there's creational goodness, right, in all people, even in people and things that don't love Jesus. So we can experience some of the beauty of the image of God just through going to be missional and living and living around people who are really different than us. They just need a savior right? They need Jesus. But there is some creational goodness to the things that non-believers create. And we need to go be around it, to be on mission, right? And to experience it and have friendships that cross cultures and cross divides and chasms and have friendships um, that preview the kingdom of God and all that God has meant to be in friendship. Um, so let me pray for us. And then we'll, we'll bring up the worship team. God, thank you that um, you modeled friendship early on through the Godhead, through the Trinity, and that, God, that you saw it fit for man not to be alone, that you, even when we were in your presence, in relationship with you, God, you saw a need to give a companion. And so, God, I thank you for the friendships that we have in this room, the way that friendships have shaped us. Um, The good ways for sure, but even the bad ways, God. Would you continue to move us to this picture of redeemed friendship? The way we do friendship, it's friendships that give a preview of the kingdom of God and what is to come, um, Lord, when your kingdom is fully realized. Uh, Jesus, you are so worthy of our praise today um, and we offer everything that we are up to you, God. Would you continue to change us and shape us and mold us um, that we would be conformed into the image of your son, through our friends today, Jesus. We ask these in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thank y'all.